Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you this morning. My name is Huey, and I have the joy and the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Christ Central. And I want to welcome those of you who are joining us for worship in person, as well as those of you who are tuning in with us online. And especially if you are joining us for the very first time, we want to thank you for worshiping with us today. Friends, we are, in a, we are currently in a sermon series called Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And we are examining the life and ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And as we do so, we get to listen in on what Jesus says, and we get to watch what Jesus does. In order that, as Luke writes in the beginning of his Gospel, he says that we might have certainty. Certainty about who Jesus is that he is the son of God, the savior of the world and the friend of sinners. As we follow Jesus around through the pages of Luke, we get to see the, the nature and the character of Jesus. We get to see his heart. But I'm praying this morning that our desire would, is, is for more than certainty. We want our desire for our hearts to be warmed and our affections to be stirred as we see that Jesus really is worthy of our worship. He really is worthy of our trust and our obedience and that he really is our world's greatest need and our world's greatest hope. So to that end, I wanna invite all of us to turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter seven this morning. I'm gonna begin reading in verse 36. The title of today's message is Jesus forgives a sinful woman. So Luke chapter 7, beginning in 36, I'm going to read to the end of that chapter. So follow along with me in your Bible. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who had two debtors, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. People of God, this is the word of our God. Amen. To help our guide our to help guide our time together, here is just my simple sermon outline for us this morning. First, we'll look at the love of a forgiven sinner. And second, we'll look at the contempt of a self-righteous person. And third, we'll look at the grace of our Savior, Jesus. So first, the love of a forgiven sinner. I want to try to help uh, set the stage for us uh, in the, in, for this passage. Luke tells us in verse 36 that Jesus was invited to a home of a Pharisee named Simon for a meal. As many of you know, the Pharisees were the spiritual and cultural elites of Jesus' day. They were well-respected and regarded as influential leaders of society who had great knowledge of the scriptures. And meals like this were not uncommon. If rabbi was traveling through a particular city, the religious leaders of that city would gather together, invite the rabbi rabbi into their home, and they would share a meal together. It was a common custom of that time. And further, meals like this were somewhat public affairs. Homes of prominent and wealthy Pharisees were large enough, and they were designed with open floor plans, and they would often host banquets and gatherings in a courtyard big enough where people from the streets can wander in to observe and listen in on the conversations. Now, what made this particular meal very uncommon is precisely what Luke begins to unfold for us in beginning in verse 37. And he's begins verse 37 with the words, and behold, meaning listen in, pay attention, draw near, because something unexpected is about to happen. And in verse 37, we are introduced to a woman of the city who was a sinner. We know very little about this woman of the city, but what we do know about her is actually very, very revealing. Please notice that the woman's name is not given, and yet, as Luke seems to suggest to us, everyone in that house, everyone in that courtyard, everyone seemed to know who she was. Everyone knew, at least knew her type. In other words, this woman had a reputation. Perhaps it was the way she dressed or the way she looked. Perhaps rumors about her had gone around town. Everyone knew that she was a woman of the city, which was a common expression for a prostitute in that cultural setting. So multiple times in this passage, she is referred to as a sinner. So we can assume that she was someone who was despised and degraded and defiled, broken, used, and abused. She was someone who was rejected, shamed, and condemned by the world around her, especially by the religious elites. And living under a dark cloud of shame and guilt, she had made a mess of her life. 
this is who she is. I think we can say that this woman was the very definition of the lost, the last, the least, and the left behind that we've already encountered early in the life and ministry of Jesus. She, had, she was someone who was labeled as unclean and unlovable and unworthy in the eyes of the world. And friends, I want us to pause here just for a moment and, and to, for us to consider this. Though we may not identify with this woman in terms of the way that she made her living, but I'm sure all of us can resonate with experiences of shame and guilt, with experiences of deep sorrow and regret for what we've done, perhaps. Perhaps some of us know what it's like to live under a cloud of the sense of lostness and helplessness and condemnation. Some of us know what it's like to have made a mess of our lives, maybe mess of our marriages or our relationship with our parents or our relationship with our children. We resonate with this idea that we, in some ways, we have made a mess. And to that, I want us to hear Luke's invitation for us, God's invitation for us to behold, to to listen in, and to pay attention. I promise you this morning, there's nothing on Facebook or Instagram that is as as glorious as what we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke. So draw in, draw near, and and, and behold how Jesus responds and, and listen to what he says. So Luke goes on to tell us that this woman did the unthinkable. So upon hearing that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she took an alabaster flask of ointment, which was costly and of immense value, probably the most expensive possession that she had. And with it, she moved toward Jesus, stood behind him at his feet, and she's overcome with emotion. And she begins to weep. And the word weep there literally is uncontrollably sobbing. And Luke tells us that she began to wet his, wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair to dry them. And she began, to, she began kissing his feet, anointing them with ointment. Friends, can you, can you just picture, uh, picture the scene? Picture what's happening. I don't know about you, but I think, I think it ought to make us a bit uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because of how raw and how deeply personal this all was for her. This was an incredible display of intimate, extravagant love and affection for Jesus. After all that she has gone through, perhaps, this woman had come to a place where she cared less about what anyone thought about her, what anyone knew about her, and all she wanted was Jesus. All she wanted to be was to be in the presence of Jesus. I mean, this was a beautiful display of worship and love. And I want us to ask, ask the question, I mean, how are we supposed to make sense of a sense of this? I mean, what, what moved her to the degree that she would express and display such affection and love for Jesus? You see, leading up to this 
point, and as we've been following Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that large crowds often gather around Jesus and followed him. And these crowds heard Jesus preach the word of God and proclaim the good news of his kingdom and offer and extend forgiveness for sins. And these crowds witnessed Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the leper, and even raise the dead. And most likely this woman was part of these crowds and she witnessed Jesus's compassion for the broken. She witnessed Jesus extend mercy to sinners and, and care for the poor, the needy, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. I mean, in her eyes, Jesus was very different from any other man that she has ever encountered. And most likely, this woman witnessed Jesus' attention and affection toward the lost, the last, the least, and the left behind. And in that moment, she saw in Jesus the lover of her soul and the friend of her sinner's heart. And in that moment, she did not need any more convincing. She came to believe and to embrace Jesus to be who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the friend of sinners. So, so when you consider all of that, and when you consider all that she has been through, yeah, it, this makes sense. How could she not weep at the sight of the one who, who would forgive her sins, who would love her despite everything she had done, and who would restore her dignity and worth and value? How could she not weep? How could she not give all of herself to be with Jesus? So here we see an extravagant love of a forgiven sinner. She held nothing back. As Kent Hughes in his commentary writes this, it was a beautiful and fully proper outpouring of love by a redeemed soul. Brothers and sisters, does the extravagant love of this woman move you today? Or when was the last time that you felt such deep, deep gratitude for your sins forgiven? Friends, you see, you and I will love and worship God to the degree that you and I are aware of the magnitude of our sins and also the lavishness of God's grace and forgiveness. Friends, I think this is, this, can, this, this is the way that I think our Christian journey, our Christian life can be summed up. As you grow in the awareness of your sin, the more you are aware of your need for God's grace. And the more you are aware of your need for God's grace, the more you will grow in the certainty of God's unwavering love for you in Christ Jesus. The more you are aware of your sin, the more you are aware of your need, and the more you are aware of your need for God's grace, the more you grow in the certainty of God's unwavering love for you in Christ Jesus. You know, John Newton, the former slave trader turned pastor, toward the end of his life said this. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. Number one, I am a great sinner. 
And Jesus is a great Savior. So friends, this morning, behold the lavishness of the grace of our Savior Jesus. And let's allow the magnitude of our sins, the gravity of our sins, to to help us to behold what a great Savior we have in Christ. So first, we've looked at the love of a forgiven sinner. And second, we see the contempt of a self-righteous person. You know, as, as these things are happening, Luke turns our attention to Simon, and we get a closer look into the mind and the heart of a self-righteous person. Verse 39 says this, Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We are meant to hear scorn and contempt in his words. In other words, Simon was so offended by the actions of this uninvited, unwelcome woman that he disdained her with such passion. And and Luke tells us that he murmured to himself, he thought to himself, he said to himself, what sort of woman? And he refers to her as a sinner. In other words, that's all Simon saw in this woman. I mean, Simon didn't see her repentance. Simon forgot to see her need for God's forgiveness and grace. All he saw in her, like what sort of woman? I mean, this woman, this sinner. And not only did Simon feel contempt toward the woman, he also felt contempt toward Jesus. Because he thought to himself, if Jesus really is a prophet, if he really is who he says he is, he would not be associating himself with sinners like this, let alone allow her to touch him. Simon's heart is so filled with judgmentalism and pride and self-righteousness, you can hear it in his thoughts. What What would God hear as he hears our thoughts? sometimes. Like Simon felt no compassion and no, no joy for a repentant sinner. And, and it, he probably would have preferred that Jesus pay no attention to this sort of woman. You see, for the self-righteous person, those who live the good moral life are in and prostitutes are The righteous are in, and the unrighteous are out. The good are in, the bad are out. Therefore, there can be no room for tenderness and grace in the heart of a self-righteous person. Not only that, for the self-righteous person, the sins of others are far more glaring than his own. For the self-righteous person, they are far more aware and preoccupied with the sins of others than their own. And there's very little room for grace. Does that describe you? Does that describe me this morning? You know, for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, especially for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, it might be easier It may be easier to identify with the woman, but can we also see ourselves in Simon? Can we see the sin of self-righteousness and pride 
in our own hearts. And I think, I think one of the most humbling things about this passage is this, that, the, that Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus to his home and he saw Jesus face to face and yet he completely missed Jesus' heart. I mean, Simon failed to see Jesus as he really is, as the Son of God, as the Savior of sinners. And, and how ironic that a recent convert like this woman saw Jesus far more clearly than a religious elite. I think that's such a sobering thought for many of us. And yet, Jesus doesn't just dismiss Simon as, you know, as Simon wanted Jesus to dismiss this woman. Jesus, in his kindness, goes after Simon's heart. And this is absolutely beautiful to me. Verse 41 and following, and Jesus says, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And I think this is, this is a key phrase. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And Jesus continues in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with, with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You know, even for Simon, this was a very simple parable. And I think there are two, at least two things Jesus is trying to get at with Simon. First, Jesus wants Simon to see the woman, to really see her the way that God sees her. Jesus wants Simon to see that it's not the morally superior, it's not the ones that they think uh, they are good enough or, um, or know how to clean themselves up that gets the attention and the affection of God. Rather, it's the ones that they know that know they have absolutely nothing to offer but their need. All they could offer Jesus is their need. And they know that everything is grace. Simon, of all people, should have known and understood verses like Psalm 51, verse 17. He probably would have memorized Psalm 51, 17. It said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And second, I think Jesus wants Simon to see the gravity and the magnitude of his own need for forgiveness and grace. You see, this parable isn't just simply about a debtor who'd owed, who owed 10 times more than another. This parable isn't just about someone who owed 500 denarii versus 50. The heart of this parable was that there were two debtors who owed and two debtors that could not pay. It doesn't matter at this point if you owed 500 or 50, the consequences are the same. There are two debtors in this parable and two debtors who couldn't pay their debts. 
That's the heart of this parable. In other words, Jesus wants Simon to see not only the great debt of sin in this woman, but also the great debt of sin in his own heart. This parable challenges the assumption of the self-righteous and and, and blurs the line between sinners and the righteous. According to Jesus, both are debtors and both are hopelessly bankrupt. And the only remedy is divine grace. The only remedy is the proper response of faith that trusts in God's salvation in Christ Jesus. Again, I turn to Kent Hughes as as he writes this. He says, What we all must understand is that the condition of being forgiven is to realize that we are broke and insolvent. Whether we are accomplished moralists or accomplished sinners, this is the problem. People keep trying to persuade God to accept the currency of their own making. Some submit the currency of integrity. God, I work with compulsive liars. The only honest man I know is myself. Surely I'm acceptable. Others would argue that their domestic currency ought to make it. In this X-rated world, my life is a wholesome G. I'm faithful to my wife. I love her and my children. I'm a good husband, father, and son. I reckon that's all I need. Social currency is favorite too. I'm truly colorblind. My money, lots of it goes to the needy. I volunteer at the crisis crisis pregnancy center. I really do care. The world needs more people like me, and so does heaven. And church currency, perhaps, is the biggest delusion. I live at church. My goodness will surely be accepted. And Kent Hughes concludes with this thought. God does recognize these things. But nevertheless, we are all debtors. Regardless of our individual morality, we are all broke. The woman realized that she could never pay what she owed, so God paid it all. This is what the cross is all about. No one could ever achieve the holy perfection necessary to stand before God. Sin infects every area of our lives, no matter how good we are. And perfect, sinless Jesus chose to die, the perfect for the imperfect, so we could have life. Simon the Pharisee was blinded to his need by his self-righteousness, but the woman was illumined to her need by her sin. It is only by God's mercy that we are aware of our, uh, that we are aware of our sin. Brothers and sisters, are you, Are we blinded to our need for grace by our self-righteousness? Friends, do you see your need for God's forgiveness and grace this morning? Or have some of us have grown out of or grown beyond our need for and dependence on God's grace? Could it be that for some of us this morning, we have so little love for Christ because we've never truly seen or we have forgotten what great sinners we are and then how sure and sweet and complete Christ's forgiveness is. Could it be that for some of us, our pride and our self-righteousness blind us from seeing the depth of our own sin and our need for God's grace in Christ? You know, Pastor Matthew Henry once said, 
there's no such thing as a small sin because there's no such thing as a small God to sin against. In other words, friends, a small view of our sins will always lead to a small view of our Savior. And the only remedy to seeing our Savior as big as He really is is for, is for us to consider the cost and the depth of our forgiveness in Christ. And this leads us to our last point, the grace of our Savior, Jesus. So we looked at the love of a forgiven sinner, the contempt of a self-righteous person, and lastly, the grace of our Savior, Jesus. Verse 47 and following, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, and he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began saying, uh, to, to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, I think this is where we get the full picture of why the woman came to the feet of Jesus and why we can come to the foot of the cross. The reason why the woman displayed such great love and affection for Jesus is because she had been forgiven. She knew the deep pain and brokenness of life apart from God's mercy. She recognized that her sins were many. She knew her debt before God, a debt that she could not pay. And in response, Jesus pronounces grace and forgiveness for the woman and to us. And Jesus can do that precisely because he is the Savior who takes the punishment for all of our sins. In his suffering and death on the cross, Jesus paid the debt we owed and could not pay. So how could Jesus forgive sins? Behold the cross. Behold his cross. You see, on the cross, Jesus dealt with every sin, past, present, and future. Jesus dealt with every sinful thought, every selfish action, every word of gossip, every outburst of anger, every lie and greed and lust. He dealt with it all. And Jesus dealt with every self-righteous thought, every outworking of pride in which we think we're better than someone else. All of it, God has covered in the blood of Jesus. And he says, though your sins are many, your sins are forgiven. And God raised Jesus from the dead, proving that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for our need so that we, even we, if we are the biggest sinners, our sin cannot be and will never be bigger than his forgiveness and grace. Friends, we are not forgiven because of our worship, because of our tears, because of our works, nor are we forgiven because we live good, upstanding, moral lives and do good things and even believe the right things. We are forgiven because we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We are forgiven because our faith rests not in who we are or what we hope to be one day. Our faith, 
uh, rest not, not in um, who we want to be, when we finally get our act together, our faith rests completely on who Christ is and what he has done. So out of this reality, out of this overflow, yes, we pursue holiness. We pursue godliness. We pursue righteousness. We pursue doing good deeds to love others. Love is a proper response to what Christ has done for us. As the Apostle Paul says, and I want us to, be, I want us to get really good at saying this and praying this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. So what? What does this mean for us as I close? Two, two thoughts that I want to offer you. First is this. For those of you who have yet to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm praying this morning that God's mercy would open, your, open the eyes of your hearts to see your need for God's grace and forgiveness. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. That means that though we may be physically alive, we are spiritually dead. That, that we feel no inclination to know God, to desire Him, to follow Him, and to love Him apart from God's grace. And instead, we reject Him, we resist Him, we deny Him. And this matters because God is our Creator and He has created us in His own image and for His own glory so that we, we might display his beauty and worth, but we have rebelled. All of us have rebelled and trampled over his glory. So we don't love him nor worship him as a sovereign and reigning king that he really is. And for that, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. And because we owe a debt we can't pay, God in his grace and mercy sent his one and only son for you to be the sacrifice for your sins and to cancel the debt that you owe through his death. It's only by grace that we are forgiven and made alive in Christ. So therefore, I'm praying for you that you do not harden your hearts this morning, but may he soften your hearts to see your need for grace and forgiveness. And I want you to behold today as you see Jesus in Luke 7, I want you to behold the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That you would see the magnitude and the lavishness of God's kindness and grace toward you in Christ. In Christ, there is no sin bigger than the cross and no sinner bigger than our Savior. God's gaze and his affections in Christ are toward the lost, the last, the least, and the left behind. And I'm praying this morning that you will draw near to him, that you will bring your worship and your love and affection, and you would believe that he really is the son of God and the friend of sinners. If that describes you, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We would love to connect with you. We would love to help you connect to your Savior. And secondly and quickly, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been walking with Jesus for some time. Friends, my prayer is this, that God would preserve us from growing too familiar and too accustomed to what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. 
friends, that we would never grow cold and numb to the reality that we could never save ourselves. Our good deeds will never be enough. Our piety will never be enough. We are actually walking miracles and testimonies of God's grace. So may we never grow too confident and too comfortable in our own righteousness. But instead, may we preach this gospel to ourselves again and again and again and again. The more we are aware of our sin, the more we are reminded of our need for God's grace, and the more we are assured of God's forgiveness for us in Christ Jesus, may we do everything we can to not allow the good news of the gospel to become old news. Amen? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for um, reminding us today that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And Father, that our faith rests on the finished and perfect work of Jesus. And he is our joy. He is our worship. He is our devotion and our affection. Would you stir our hearts this morning to love you with all that we have, with all that we are, to bring ourselves to you, bring our whole selves to you. For you are worthy. For you are worthy. Would you compel our hearts this morning to draw near to the cross? We thank you. It's for your beautiful name we pray. 